Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Dead Punnett Society. This is the B-Side. Joining us to talk about New Hampshire, Iowa, what's likely to be on the horizon in Nevada, and uh, nice, kindly old ladies who disrupt Michael Bloomberg <laughs> rallies is Jacobin staff writer Megan Day. She's been on the program quite a bit. You guys know Megan. She is the uh, Bernie bro in chief, one of the most erudite and uh, insightful commentators that the progressive socialist left has. I will be juicing you up all day. Megan, thanks for coming on the show. You're too kind. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad glad you're back. So you just got off the phone with a woman who, a, a badass, I should say, a real true American hero in many respects, who disrupted a Bloomberg rally. I actually hadn't seen that video, but I, I, I'm sure by the time this airs, it will have gone viral on Twitter and elsewhere. Talk to me about what happened at that Bloomberg event and what she did and her response and maybe what the signals for the coming battle uh, between Sanders and Bloomberg that looks to be on the horizon. Well, yeah. So right now, at the time of this recording, the video is in the uh, early stages of virality because, uh, you know, we can tell that people are excited about it. And we just have Jacobin knows people who happen to know her. So we got her on the phone. Her name is Anna Grabowski. She's 65. And she jumped on stage during a Bloomberg rally to deliver an impassioned speech about how Bloomberg was a plutocrat who was attempting to buy our democracy or buy the election. cut like she was muscled off stage it was it was pretty phenomenal um i called her she was the most sweet mild-mannered person i said hey anna your your video is about to go viral and she was like oh i'm sure it'll just have a little moment in the sun and then fade away like these things do she was very sweet um i asked her what on earth she was thinking and she told me that well, it was completely premeditated. She had practiced uh, in her head many times as she was driving down there. This was in uh, Ch- Chattanooga, Tennessee. And then she explained who she is. She's a retired public school teacher who had her mind just completely exploded by Bernie Sanders's first r- run. And then she was radicalized and joined DSA. And this is not even the first uh, political rally that she's vocally disrupted since becoming an active democratic socialist. So uh, it's pretty exciting to see how the Bernie Sanders campaign does inspire, you know, militancy and, and bravery and passion in people who might otherwise live relatively unassuming lives. And, um, she was very concerned about Bloomberg's candidacy. She thought it was the perfect distillation of everything that's wrong. Not that she felt that, you know, she certainly felt that like Pete Buttigieg having 40 billionaire donors is a problem itself, but there's something sort of especially egregious, almost caricatured about a billionaire simply self-funding his own campaign because you're taking out that sort of intermediate step. Um, And she said that in Tennessee, where she lives, it's impossible to turn on television or radio without getting bombarded by Bloomberg ads. And this is what everybody has been noticing, is that he's basically made an ad, an unprecedented ad buy and has been able to muscle himself into this race without having to prove anything to anyone or even really stand for anything or have any kind of political vision. I was canvassing a working class black and Latino neighborhood on Saturday. And I've been canvassing every weekend since October. And um, mostly I shouldn't give myself too much credit. Sure. I've taken some weeks off here and there, but yeah, I've been canvassing consistently since October and I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard Bloomberg mentioned almost at all. And suddenly it was like, everybody was talking about Bloomberg 
because his ad buy has been so successful. It's just saturating the it's airwaves. The place. I was just at the gym on the treadmill for fuck's sake, you know, and, and I'm seeing Bloom, every, Bloomberg ad in every single uh, commercial break. Right before getting on this call with you to air this here episode, I Googled the, the New Hampshire primary results. So I would have the, the stats in front of me. What do I get? A Google ad at the top of the search results for New Hampshire primary results for, for Mike fucking Bloomberg. I mean, it's okay. the saturation is even a word for it. It's, it's, um, it's astonishing what money can buy in this, in this country. And although, and, and this, you know, and, and yet we shouldn't be astonished at all. Should we? No, we shouldn't, but it's really disheartening because I think in particular, you've got a lot of people who in this country who work really hard and don't have a ton of time to participate in the political process. And these, some of them are maybe, maybe they routinely vote, but they don't follow along. Like we are weird. We're political junkies. We're extremely strange. We're outliers. And, you know, when I was canvassing people, I was hearing people talk about Bloomberg, not because they liked him, but because they knew that they were supposed to think that he was an important candidate. And we're just like saying his name to sort of demonstrate that they like know what's going on. But when in reality, Bloomberg is not actually a part of the race, with the exception of the fact that he's gaining some traction precisely because he's initiating that response in low information voters, which is just really despicable when you realize that he's dipped into his personal fortune to make that happen without any sort of political offering whatsoever or substance to his campaign. He has a small army of journalists, you know, at his beck and call, uh, basically commanding him not to them not to publish anything negative about him and so on. Um, it's it's really despicable. And yet, you know, you couldn't think of a better matchup for our boy Bernie Sanders, could you? Um, yeah, you know. yeah, I don't mind the idea of a Bernie versus Bloomberg because you know what? Like that's the goal for for the primary, I mean, for the general election, right? If we need to do like an early preview of it. Uh, I guess that's just more practice for Bernard. Yeah, bring it on. And as others have reported the past couple of days, Bloomberg is doing his best in these ad buys and putting out these pictures to to make it seem like Obama has endorsed him, you know, showing because Obama loves billionaires. He loves business, businessy types of people, you know, it kind of he just always has. And he has a, a, a personal affinity for these types of people, these big bankers, the Wall Streeters. I mean, the stories are legion. And so Bloomberg is out there uh, trying to portray a situation as if Obama had already endorsed him, raking up old quotes, old commendations, old pictures of them embracing and laughing and Bloomberg looking very presidential, giving Obama guidance or what have you at various intervals, which just shows that, you know, that the billionaires can just, you know, knock on the, the door of the Oval Office and they're welcomed with open arms. Uh, it's 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 depravity is is laid bare. But but it gives him uh, a little bit of credibility. What do you what do you think of that? Uh, that kind of maneuver? I think that's exactly right. And I also think that it's not just Obama. There's a bunch of other politicians or mayors of various cities who I'm going to get this wrong because I haven't looked deep into this, but he ran some kind of like incubator for mayors <laughs> and and those people, people who, uh, you know, like rose up through that program have all uh, hand delivered their endorsement to Bloomberg. Um, and he also I mean, the, his philanthropy operation has made it at the very least so that there are high profile people on the left side of the aisle in the Democratic Party who might not like him very much, but certainly won't be speaking out against him because they're relying on Bloomberg money. Bloomberg money is everywhere. I mean, I live in Oakland where the entire school board was 
purchased by Bloomberg money. He's the largest contributor to the the organization Go Public Schools that is like in charge of basically installing people on the school board in Oakland. Bloomberg money is everywhere. And that money keeps people quiet or it keeps people in some cases feeling like they want to actually speak out positively and, and butter him up. Um, you know, he lends people a helping hand, but it's not a helping. I mean, he he obviously he wants something in return. Well, now is his opportunity to cash in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he's having a voting rights event in the state of Georgia with uh, would be or would be Governor Stacey Abrams. Uh, apparently it came out in 2018. Bloomberg donated five hundred thousand dollars to Abrams gubernatorial campaign in December. He gave five million dollars to Abrams Fair Fight Organization, which is uh, her initiative to fight voter suppression. It's widely known that she, she would likely be sitting governor of that state had uh, the Republicans in, in that state not cooked the books against her. So she's now a champion of voters' rights, and she's one of the most sought-after endorsers, uh, surrogates in the in the campaign. Now, this doesn't surprise me. I've been sort of shouting, and my guests, most importantly, have been trying to uh, impl- you know, trying to educate people that Abrams was not the progressive, even in that primary, even in that state's primary. Um, so this isn't, doesn't come as a total surprise, but what do you make of that Stacey Abrams move? Uh, this is just another way of Bloomberg trying to to make it seem as if he's getting endorsements that that he clearly has not received. Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Is is actually I was thinking of the Stacey Abrams thing when I said my previous comment. Um, I I think that Bloomberg is is exerting both hard influence and soft influence with his money right now. It's just a case study in how depraved the whole political system is. Because when I say hard influence, I mean that he's able to dip into his uh, personal bank account and fund the largest ad buy of the entire cycle. I mean, just like completely blowing everyone else out of the water. And he also is able to pay twice as much for staffers on his campaign as the next guy, which means that he's attracting you know, talent. And I have a personal anecdote about this, which is that I was on the Harvard campus because I was there for a panel and I um, canvassed a Bloomberg staffer by, I was canvassing for Bernie on the Harvard can, on the Harvard campus. And I spoke to a Bloomberg staff. She looked at me sheepishly and she said, well, I'm actually working on another campaign. She was a recent Harvard graduate and she basically flat out told me that she had just seen the job listing, um, a very attractive job listing, and had uh, decided to take the job. And I asked her to pitch me on Bloomberg, and she literally couldn't. I mean, she was a sweet person. If you're listening, you know, like, much love and respect. But she uh, she's definitely not listening. But um, she could not she could not tell me why Bloomberg should should be present. She couldn't even pitch me on him. And he's just you he's just spraying money everywhere and just like sucking up talent to like work on his campaign. People who don't even know why they're doing what they're doing or why he's doing what he's doing. The whole thing mm-hmm. is being it's like a giant monster being set into motion, being animated by money. Right. So that's the hard that's the hard influence I'm talking about. And then there's the soft influence, which is that Bloomberg money has been coursing through the veins of the sort of of, of American quasi political life for a very long time. So the sort of like parapolitical spheres, for example, like Bloomberg pumping money into this organization, Go Public Schools, which is very responsible for installing people on the school board in Oakland. That is just one of many examples. This is how he's exerting soft influence. And that soft influence is creating a situation where you have a bunch of journalists, for example, who have worked for Bloomberg News, or you have a bunch of mayors who come up through some sort of philanthropic seeming mayoral training 
voting program or, you know, you have the voting rights initiative that Stacey Abrams was running. Um, like these things are all funded by Bloomberg money and people don't want to speak out against someone who's been generous to them. People also don't want to speak out against someone if they think that they that person might be generous to them in the future. And sometimes people will actually take the extra step and speak positively about about Bloomberg, even if they don't necessarily agree with him. What is there to agree with anyway? I mean, Bloomberg is not like he's like has a strong political perspective aside from like, I'm very wealthy and pro stop and frisk. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And now he's. Yeah, there's not really much there besides, you know, the personality Bloomberg. Um, But still, you've got people I just I I wouldn't even trust that everybody who's speaking out in favor of Bloomberg actually has anything they like about him. I think people are just very attracted to the or they're being compelled and massaged by the influence that he's been exerting for many, many years. Yeah. Washington bureau chief with the intercept, Ryan Grimm has talked a lot about this, about how there's a, there's a veritable muzzling effect on the journalistic class, because even if they don't currently work from Bloomberg, Bloomberg, uh, which is a massive, massive news organization. I mean, it's, it's just, it's of the size and scope that even I didn't understand until reading some of uh, Grimm's reporting on this. And, uh, even if you haven't worked with them previously, you don't currently work for me, maybe one day you might. And Mm -hmm. so coming out strong against, you know, this, what exactly the kind of thing we're talking about right now is a, is a veritable, uh, you know, you're, you're placed on a blacklist. Megan, I'm sorry to tell you, you'll never work for Bloomberg affiliated <laughs> media organization. <laughs> you know, your yeah. goose is cooked. Your goose is cooked. Well, you, know, well you, you have to, I mean, this is all leading us back to why we started this conversation, which is that uh, our friend Anna Grabowski was completely correct when she jumped on that stage and she called him a plutocrat. And this has been a conversation that's been roiling on Twitter, actually. Bernie Sand, people in the Bernie Sanders campaign, I think Senator Nina Turner and maybe Brown Joy Gray have called Bloomberg an oligarch. And and there's just been like an outcry about this word. I mean, presumably this word is what reserved for people in like other countries. Do yeah, we not? Yeah, have Russia, <laughs> Russia and Putin. They're the only oligarchs that we're allowed to, to talk about. Yeah, right. I mean, and you saw people, even people like Naomi Klein jumping in and being like, this is this is the definition of an oligarch. This is proof that we live in an oligarchy. In fact, his very success is, is I mean, the proof is in the pudding. So um, what what chance in hell? I mean, it's 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 all very early here. What chance in hell does any of this being transmitted to, to, to the, the normies that we've talked about, people for whom politics is not a hobby? We we weirdos who follow this stuff. What chance in hell does Bloomberg have in connecting with these voters is there a is there a middle this this fantastical middle middle ground that the pundits have been lusting after and uh, you know gnashing their teeth over the absence of a viable cent- centrist candidate? Of course, we've seen some clobumentum, uh, some Klobuchar. I don't know. Amy Klobuchar did pretty well in New Hampshire. We're going to talk about the New Hampshire results here in a second. People are hoping and crossing their fingers that that she can sort of fill that void. But of course, that's why Bloomberg entered the race in the first place. Is he going to see any success with the average American? Well, it's really hard to say because his strategy, like if it were just his policy, he were relying on his political message alone. I would tell you, no, people are not interested in that. Um, he's you know, people are not interested in the status quo and they're not interested in, um, you know, somebody who doesn't have any real positive political vision or agenda that promises to transform or improve their lives in any way. 
But unfortunately, that's not the only factor at play. It's not like an even playing field where we just like present each candidate presents their politics and then the voters um, decide which one they like the best. Unfortunately, the saturation that Bloomberg is doing right now with his with his advertising strategy does change it quite a bit because he's basically pumping his name out into um low income and low information communities of voters or would-be voters, um, potential voters. And in order to counteract that, we have to canvas. I mean, I do think that Bernie Sanders needs to just purchase ads himself, and he has been. He's actually doing a pretty good job of that. Um, and, you know, his money is not unlimited. He does have a lot of money, but it's not unlimited. Um, but we also need to canvas. So I'll tell you that I, for example, like I said, was canvassing a neighborhood where I was hearing a lot of Bloomberg chatter over the weekend. And one anecdote is that I talked to a guy named David, who was a black man who was in his 70s, who was walking with a cane. And he was like, uh, people were like waving and smiling at him on the street. He obviously was like known in his neighborhood. And I asked him, um, who he supported. And he said it was between Bloomberg and Bernie. And I said, why Bloomberg? And he said, well, it seems like he's got a really good chance. You know, it was a sort of like self, it was, a, it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. People like like to pick a it. winner. They like to be on the, on the side of the winner. Exactly. And then I said, why Bernie? And he said, because it seems like he fights, he fights for the people. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he, that's what he was getting at. And I think he's on my side, you know, he seems like an honest, consistent man who cares about ordinary people. Like these were the kinds of things he was communicating about Bernie Sanders. And so it took a com one conversation with me to impress upon him. that The second thing he said was way more important than the first thing he said, which is not, I, this is his own knowledge. I'm not like imparting any new knowledge to him, just like having a conversation that might not otherwise happen to convince people to go with their gut and to like prioritize prioritize the politics over the sort of like uh, horse like horse racy punditry. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. We meaning people on the left have talked a lot about the transformation of the ordinary voter into like a um, like into like a, a person placing bets on an election. Right. And it's not even like wonky types. This guy is like a working class, older black man in East Oakland who like worked for 22 years in the Oakland school district as a security guard. Uh, he's, you know, he's not like a Vox reader. This is, but still, this is very, has very much saturated the electorate is the idea that that's your responsibility is to identify who is doing a good job actually. And you must weigh that equally to who you think is going to stand up for you. And just a single conversation with me, where I did not actually have to do that much work, I, he seemed to realize, he's, by the end of it, he was, you know, he like, I took a photo of him holding up like a Bernie sign. He was like, yeah, I'm going to vote for Bernie. And he said that he was going to tell people in his neighborhood that they should vote for Bernie. And I had already gotten the impression that he was very well liked in his neighborhood. So hopefully that reverberates. But that's the only thing that we, I think we can actually do. I mean, this is, it all comes down to, we say it over and over again. I know it's boring, but it's true. You have to canvas. You have to get out there and canvas. You have to talk to people. That's right. Shout out to your colleague at Jacobin. He's got a column there, Ben Burgess. Everybody here on the DPS, uh, DPS faithful knows Ben Burgess, but he calls this, I'm not sure if this is his, if he owns this one or not, but uh, he says, you know, everybody's, you know, uh, inspired to be their own little Nate Silver. And mm -hmm. it's really depressing that 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 kind of that kind of sentiment has permeated, has been disseminated to to people like the man you just talked about. Uh, but but job well done and, and very point well taken. And it's very crucial that we're, we're getting the word out, whether you can text, whether you can call, whether you can canvas in some of these states. 
um, it's crucial, that ground operation. I think, we you know, one last remark on Bloomberg before we get to the New Hampshire results and beyond. You know, uh, many people have talked about this. This is not an original thought per se. Part of this comes from Nomiki Konst, who's uh, someone who's going to be on DPS in the next couple of weeks, talking about the DNC and some of the corruption uh, and the just the just the, the complete cynicism of the, con- the the Democratic Party consultant class. But I think it was her 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 input here, her um, her impulse, and in, in suggesting that. The the DNC consultant class is getting so is getting behind Bloomberg in such an enthusiastic way because he can self fund his campaign, which means that all of those other fundraising dollars, all of these other Democratic Party uh, you know coffers, guess where they'll go? Right into the pockets of that consultant class mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for polls, for you know op research, for ad campaigns, for strategy, for for all of these like ridiculously you know useless and um, fairly you know but all services that they offer and 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 you know they come along by the way come along with you know multi million dollar price tags they are just licking their chops and seeing this as a windfall. Biden is broke. You know, Klobuchar, up to now anyway, has not really raised a lot of money. Warren is running out of money, and I suspect that that's going to get worse. A lot of these, you know, operations in these particularly Super Tuesday require massive operations. And Bloomberg can write his own damn checks, just like we saw Trump do in 2016. And the consultant class, they're licking their chops over this opportunity to to fatten their wallets with this DNC money that will not be required to fund Bloomberg's campaign. And, you know, that's a scary prospect to go up against as well-funded as Sanders' campaign is. But you can also see how that kind of – it has its own internal rationality that runs contrary to any consideration as to whether or not Bloomberg can win. And we saw this we saw this play out in the Hillary Clinton uh, situation. And, and this can only bode well for us, I think. What do you, what do you make of that – that uh, speculation with respect, you know, which regarding Bloomberg and why the DNC consultant class are licking their chops over this. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you a moment ago to say that it's, I hadn't thought about it that way. And I think that that's uh, probably exactly what is happening, actually. I think that that's definitely true. As for what whether it bodes well or poorly for us, I mean, <laughs> if everyone else falls away for whatever reason, and I won't pretend to know what's ha- going to happen next, I really have no idea. Um, if everyone else falls away besides Bernie and Bloomberg, um, you know, it's going to be a real test of of our democracy. Do we have anything resembling a democracy? Is it the case that you can simply purchase your way into the nomination, into the general election, or does the mass disgust that people feel with the idea of what you just described, um, which will be popularly felt by people who are paying enough attention, not that everybody will be, will that be able to structurally override the influx of cash and the sort of like soft mechanisms of party power and para party power in the consultant class? Um, I don't know. I think that Bernie's built a lot of momentum 
And I think that if if it is possible structurally to defeat Bloomberg in a situation like that, then Bernie's Bernie might be able to pull it off. But I don't know. I don't know what what, what the sort of structural possibilities are, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it remains to be seen again. You know, I look forward to having Namiki Konst on next week or the, the week after to talk about some of these things. I mean, it, these things really matter. They really matter. And I think, you know, we democratic socialists who sort of tend to have our eyes focused, trained on the macro, oftentimes this stuff often uh, escapes us. And I think we're really kind of on, on, a, on a learning curve here. We're doing, we're doing well, we're, we're catching up, but we're, we're on a learning curve here and, and trying to figure out how this plays out at the institutional level you know, in such a way that progressives like Nomiki or others on, on that kind of beat have been you know, trained on this for a very long time. And so it, it can only bode well for the overall movement if people like yourself and, and and my audience really kind of you know is informed about the, these these machinations because if we whatever we whatever we want to make of the Democratic Party whatever we whatever happens next if we have you know remember you remember those the heady days of the left where we talked about dirty breaks and such mm-hmm. uh, whatever we make of the Democratic Party moving forward as a Democratic Socialist left we're going to have to contend with the party as it currently exists let's talk a little bit about New Hampshire. How can we not? We're only just a couple of days out from the election. This concludes your free teaser of this week's B-Side. Head over to patreon.com slash deadpundits and subscribe today to hear the rest of this episode and to double your DPS pleasure each week.